Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Thierry. And I'm Adrian. This time around, I'm having a conversation with Bert Buhmann, CEO at Governance.com. Can you briefly talk about your chat with Bert and your key takeaways? Of course. Governance.com is a RecTech, a regulatory technology firm providing services to the investment fund industry. As we all know by now, Luxembourg is an important ecosystem for the administration of investment funds. I like Bert's history, as he started out in a completely different field compared to where he is today. It definitely brings an interesting perspective to his whole journey. Very true. Our listeners will also find it interesting to pick up Bert's tips to leverage Luxembourg's ecosystem in the startup space. But now, without further ado, Cherry's conversation with Bert Buhmann, CEO at Governance.com. Thank you very much for taking your time to come on our podcast episodes. It's a pleasure. Before we go into the more depth information about yourself and your business, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how would you describe your journey before and after governance.com? Yeah, so I'm, um, I'm a Dutch person born in the Netherlands um, and uh, mostly lived uh, on the, in Arnhem in the east of the Netherlands. And um, my uh, childhood, I wanted to become a cook. So uh, I uh, then ultimately I decided to start studying hotel management. So I studied hotel management in Maastricht. And during the uh, studies of uh, uh, hotel management, I decided that I liked actually the financial aspects of the business much more than the hotel management. So it was time to pivot again. So I I decided to join uh, a bank, uh, ABN AMRO, in 99 as an intern. And at the time, uh, when you were joining a bank, they actually had really good programs where they would take almost a full year to train you on all kinds of stuff that you needed to know about banking before you actually went into your first job. So I was still, I think today, most banks don't do that anymore, at least not that extensively. So I got trained on a lot of things like retail banking, corporate banking, private banking. And so I learned a lot about banking. And um, I, I, I stayed in, uh, in, uh, with the bank um, uh, until 2014. Uh, but in 2002, I moved to Luxembourg and, uh, because I was here for half a year for a specific uh, additional internship. And I, like most people that end up in Luxembourg, I, uh, I met a girlfriend that became my wife. And so uh, after two years going up and down between Amsterdam and, uh, and Luxembourg, I decided to... Uh, to uh, settle in Luxembourg. So I did stay with the group. So I stayed with AB Nimro uh, and um, uh, started doing corporate banking and then uh, uh, for a period private banking as well. And finally, my last years was uh, serving investment funds uh, in Luxembourg. So that's kind of my path up to uh, when I decided to leave the bank in 2014. Okay, and that was the same year you um, you then started with the governance.com, is that right? Yeah, so I, I started the company already a couple of years before that because um, uh, I have a twin brother and uh, we we have been fiddling around with uh, with computers uh, since we were very young. Uh, he's a little bit more technical than me, so we always say I'm the uh, 
and the the alpha with a beta interest and he is the beta with an alpha interest so uh, he ended up going towards the technical university in uh, in the netherlands and um, in 2011 uh, my brother was uh, was the uh, the cto of a large online customer satisfaction company in the netherlands and uh, you know he wanted to do something new to do uh, to reinvent himself a little bit and we we got together and we said well we always talked about starting a business together but we never actually did it so why don't we give it a go we had absolutely no clue what we wanted to do just that we wanted to do something to create um, apps or mobile apps or maybe games and the only thing that we did know was that we saw HTML5 coming as a new paradigm in uh, in programming, and it became more and more mainstream. We said, "Why why don't we use this new methodologies to to program in a different way?" And so uh, we decided to found a company out of that, and that was back in 2014. And we we did that for a couple of years, and then in 2014 uh, we decided to to change the direction of the company, and that is also when I decided then to leave. Uh, the bank, because then it was no longer compatible with uh, with running a day job. Why did you choose the career choice from being a cook uh, and then into banking and now obviously what you do today? Uh, when you are younger, you don't really know what you want to do until you actually start getting some experience. So that makes a lot of sense. But even later in life, you, you it's always important to keep reinventing yourself and some people are born entrepreneurs and some people become entrepreneurs because they want to they want to tackle an issue or something that they see in the market and they say well I could do something about that and so I always I always say you entrepreneurs are they need to have one of two or preferably two of these things they either need to have a lot of inspiration or they need to have a lot of frustration and uh, when you see most entrepreneurs, actually, it starts with frustration because they're doing something and they say, well, that, 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 that doesn't make a lot of sense. It should be it should be able to make that much simpler, right? And then you get the moment of inspiration, hopefully, afterwards, where you actually have an idea on how to make that simpler. And so we, together with my brother, I needed a solution to run my my department at at the bank at the time, and it was all manual processes and very labor intensive, and I didn't really like it. And I said, well, can we can we not make that a little bit a little bit simpler? And that then that idea that was really in the beginning only to find a solution for my own problems actually became into an idea of saying, well, we can help other companies to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to fix these problems as well. And uh, getting into today's business, um, how would you define your business in simple terms and, and what are the problems that you are trying to solve? Yeah, our, our clients are regulated companies, so banks, fund managers, and they, they these 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 companies, uh, they have a lot of uh, rules applying to them, a lot of regulation, a lot of rules, and in order to deal with those rules, they need to put in place very strict controls to make sure that they do the right things at the right time and that, that everything is recorded uh, transparently also. And, uh, the, the the problem is that most of these companies they don't have really dedicated systems for that. So what they end up doing is they they write a lot of procedures 
uh, that describe how people should operate, what control should be done when, but it's very, very easy to either forget about something uh, or, or just do it incorrectly. And at the very, very least, all these this, this manual processes and spreadsheets and paperwork that you have going on in these companies, it creates enormous cost and, uh, and, and, and time pressure on the people to do this. So what we do is we help these companies to solve that with, uh, with something that we call digital governance. And digital governance for us is the, the, uh, where we connect data from across the organization and put it at the fingertips of the people so that they can very easily manage all this, this data overload that they have, but then also to automate processes. And so, for example, uh, something that you can automate is how do you onboard a client or how do you do a control or how do you deal with a complaint if you get it in. So the regulation requires you to have processes and procedures in place for that. But then how you actually do it, uh, a lot of these things can actually be automated or at the very least we put in a very efficient workflow. So that's what we do. We connect the data, then we automate the processes, and then uh, we make it easy for people to monitor that they have uh, that they're in compliance with with their applicable rules, uh, and that uh, if any issues occur, uh, because problems will always occur, uh, that you get risk management, for example, is not about avoiding problems. It's more about how you deal with it and make sure that it doesn't become a bigger problem than it already is, and to mitigate it very quickly. And so we also have tools that help these companies to do that. And that will be European-wide or are you working on, on for clients on other continents as, as well? Or where or how far does your uh, customer base go then? So when we started, um, uh, the company was founded in Luxembourg. I was already in Luxembourg. My brother, being the tech lead, uh, was in the Netherlands. So we, we ended up building our tech technology team uh, in, uh, in Delft in the Netherlands. Uh, it's easier. It's still difficult, but it's easier relatively to get uh, to get good tech talents uh, over there. But our our main client base was here in Luxembourg because we were focusing, especially in the beginning, specifically on the asset management uh, sector. So uh, anybody who is involved in running an investment fund or that provides uh, services to investment funds. So our first clients were all uh, Luxembourg-based, uh, banks, fund management companies, fund administrators. And then slowly, uh, actually through the networks of our clients, we actually ended up uh, uh, getting clients in different countries. So now we have clients in, in Switzerland, uh, in uh, Ireland, in the UK. Uh, we have now two US uh, clients as well. And so that's the interesting thing also about what you do here is it's it's a very small place here but it's very connected to the international finance systems uh, so you can grow with your clients you don't necessarily need to open offices immediately in all kind of countries you can base it out of here and then and then uh, grow gradually and um, how responsive have financial institutions been when it comes to adopting innovative solutions like yours and, and predominantly uh, via technology implementation Obviously, I, I assume there's a, you know, you might found it a bit harder five years ago or six years ago to convince those clients than, than it might be today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, 
you you have to have a couple of elements that 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 work for you when you start a business. So obviously, you need to have a good idea, but the market needs to be ready for you as well. Your clients need to be ready. You need to have credentials and uh, and, uh, and and a bit of a brand awareness. And when you start out, and that is something that I sorely underestimated when I started the business together with uh, with Rob, my brother, is we said, well, we have a solution. We know that there's a problem. Uh, so easy going we are we are 10 times cheaper than any other solution out there so that should be easy to sell and what you then realize is that if you don't have those credentials and you don't as maybe as a person you have uh, a network and uh, and uh, a reputation but but as a company you're nobody and so then and if especially if you go to then a big financial institution and these financial institutions are very conservative when it comes to adopting uh, potentially unproven or new uh, things, uh, then it's very, very difficult to break into these financial institutions. And back in 2014, 2015, when we started, on top of that, we had the problem that the market wasn't really, was really not ready for what we wanted to do. And so I remember that we, at the time we, we started, for example, uh, to do some calls with potential investors into the business. And they would say, oh, your fintech company, fantastic. What do you do? And we said, well, we have clients with regulatory compliance. And they, they almost ran out of the room. So <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were not really interested in it. And what you see now in 2019, 2020, all of a sudden everybody gets it. Uh, and so the market is ready for it. And so and for us, a lot of things had to come together. We had to get the technology right. We had to have to have the brand awareness. We had to have uh, good reference clients because conservative institutions also move in flocks. So uh, if, they, if, if, if they know that it's already adopted by one of the other companies, uh, then it becomes easier to convince them so it, it's it's becoming easier. It's still not. Um, uh, it's easier to get the message across, especially in what we do, uh, like digitalization and digital transformation. Uh, but still, you you uh, especially if you start a business right now, you still have to assume that it will take time before a financial institution gets comfortable around you and your technology. Especially as a as a as a new starter. Um, like like you just mentioned, they might know you, but they don't they don't know the company. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I had recently I had a discussion with uh, with my mentor that uh, has been mentoring me for a number of years, and you know we 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 talked again about the the thing where you say people do business with people, and that's something that you sometimes under, underestimate. You go to this big international bank and you say you 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 think or you want to think maybe that these these companies that behave completely uh well predictable but it's at the end of the day still people that run these organizations and these people have their own worries and their own fears and if you go to a banker and say well would you like to try my untested technology to help you go forward the first thing that that banker is going to think is how is that going to reflect on my career if this project goes south what you see now in financial institutions is more and more financial institutions actually do, they have dedicated transformation or innovation teams. And they, some of them also sandbox this, this kind of project. So that means that they, 
they take a project out of the business as usual and they say, well, let, let's test something out in a small uh, sample of our clients. And then if that works well, then we can roll it out. But the, the, just like, like uh, startups work, but the financial institution also says, we don't know if it will work, but let's try it out. If it doesn't work, no hard feelings. We each go our own way, and we haven't we haven't made a global launch to all our clients saying, "Look at the here's our new e-banking solution" or something like that. Obviously, the podcast is uh, about business, but also about Luxembourg. And given Luxembourg's leading position in the fund administration space, what is your outlook for the industry going forward? Uh, and obviously, we have two things at the moment. Obviously, we are recording this during uh, COVID-19, but also has Brexit created further opportunities or challenges for the country in that respect? It certainly creates challenges and opportunities. Uh, the, the business of our clients is already complicated, but now they have even more things to think about because they need to, for example, a lot of fund managers will have to ask themselves, can I continue to sell my funds in the European Union? Yes or no, if I'm London-based? Or uh, do I still have this in the passporting feature where I don't have to register my fund everywhere and go through a full authorization? And so a lot of companies that are uh, have, have started to ask themselves, what do we need to do in order to continue the work? And some of them have decided, or quite a few of them have decided, that they will also, next to a UK-based head office, will, they will either move the head office or they will set up another head office somewhere in, within the European Union. And you can imagine that these companies are already complicate, complex, but then you now you have two head offices to run instead of one, which makes it even more complicated. So I think that there's a lot of challenges for the, for the companies. It creates opportunities for the country, of course, because... Luxembourg is the is the leading investment fund center in the world uh, after a small country called the United States. And the only reason why they're bigger is because they have more uh, people living in the country. But this is the biggest cross-border fund center in the world. And the reason why we're so big is that we have a lot of expertise here. Uh, we have, uh, I think, close to 50,000 people working in this sector. A uh, lot of expertise, a lot of experience. There's, We have, I think, close to 20,000 fund units here in Luxembourg. So it creates this really, really big base. And so when, when, a, when a company starts uh, looking at, well, if I'm not in London, where else should I be? Then obviously the choice for Luxembourg is quickly made. And uh, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, you were working on, on your idea of the business uh, prior to 2014 uh, and you were in Luxembourg already. What do you see are the pros and cons of entrepreneurship in, in Luxembourg, bearing in mind that you know the, the government has pushed on that with heavy marketing over the last couple of years? Um, what would your pros and cons be? I think that the, the approach that the Luxembourg government made was the right one. They 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 said let's because to put a lot of uh, like uh, funding schemes and tax incentives and things like that in place that takes time because it needs to go through the political system. But the thing that you can very very quickly do and that is what Luxembourg has done is to create this branding around the startup uh, startup nation uh, and and that we we embrace uh, innovation. 
And so already before, so when we started back in 2014, there were not a lot of financial aids available. And right now it's, it's that's that's much better. So it's, it's a fantastic time to start your company, even now. Um, but already from, from years ago, we were one of the first members of, for example, of Nuco, which is the, uh, the uh, ecosystem and incubator for, for, for startups. And uh, they helped us through our first fundraising. So we didn't get money from them, but they helped us to, uh, to, to, uh, to position ourselves in a way that we could get funding from other investors. And then afterwards, we, as we became a little bit bigger and we were more focused on fintech, we became a member of the LOFT, so the Luxembourg House of Financial Technology. And these, these are all initiatives that are heavily, uh, or they are initiatives of the Luxembourg government, but also heavily supported by the, by the government in order to help companies to, uh, you know, to set up and to, uh, and to also um, to find their first clients, to get the right advice, and now also to get access to the right funding that you need to bring your idea into a business so yeah like you like you mentioned the startup scene in luxembourg is growing and how how supportive has the luxembourg startup ecosystem been then to your business since 2014 when you when you officially started out well well very i remember back in 2014 when i left for the first half year i was uh, working from my uh, from my uh, uh, from my home and uh, uh, did that for quite some time. But what you do see is that as an entrepreneur very early on, you need you need uh, interaction also with other entrepreneurs, not just with advisors, but also other entrepreneurs because everybody's struggling with the same stuff. And so there, there was a lot of uh, support uh, on that with, uh, like I said, with Nuco uh, in the beginning. Uh, but now also, if you look at uh, the last couple of years, we have a number of also co-working uh, centers that have set up, uh, like uh, the office where we are currently uh, hosted and uh, Silver Square and some other solutions, where also they create this a real ecosystem of entrepreneurs to interact with each other and to help each other as well. And then if they need to, to also get access to the advice. So yeah, it's been hugely uh, supportive. Because starting a business by yourself is hard enough. But if you have to do it all by yourself and you you try to do it in your own isolation, then uh, then it's even harder. And and you 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 mentioned earlier that Luxembourg is uh, is like many other places, of course, as well, very conservative. So in in two thousand fourteen, were there some challenges that you feel that in today's day uh, new businesses or new startups won't have to jump through uh, can you give us a couple of examples yeah absolutely i mean uh, the just the fact of uh, of lo- of launching our, our company uh, back in 2011 I, I needed to get the business authorization at the time and uh, they did just to get the authorization and to get a vat number uh, in order to be able to send out the first invoice was really, really a big pain. And so it took us months to get this. Uh, it took a lot of uh, uh, cost to set up the company, to go to the notary, to set it up. And so and the, we couldn't find any resources. So you also have to pay for a lot of legal fees. 
And so this this has become so much easier right now. So if, if you really want to start your own like like a freelancer business, you you can go for the simplified SCRL, which is a one euro, and basically in one day you have the company up and running. But you, okay, you still need to get a business authorization, but it goes much faster as well. So the country has made huge steps forward in this uh, since since we started. And. Um... And how would you attract, and uh, after six years, uh, how would you attract uh, top talents to Luxembourg? And that would obviously apply to you, but also to many other companies in, in Luxembourg. Because with more technology, with more newer business ideas and business companies, um, is you have to attract talents that not necessarily is in the country. Yeah, absolutely. That that is something that is still hard to do because people that have never been to Luxembourg, they don't know really what Luxembourg is all about. Uh, some people don't know that there is a country behind the gas station that is on your way to the uh, to the to the coast of uh, France. Uh, and and so if people are never exposed to it, they they won't naturally get the idea of let's say let's settle in Luxembourg. So you 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 do need to work on that quite a lot. So now, for example, uh, there's something that we underestimated in the beginning where we said now it's, it's important not just to show what you do, but also who you are as a company. And that it is fun to work for this company. And that it is fun to work here in Luxembourg with the company or in the Netherlands, if, if that's where you want to settle. Um, so we are we're doing more and more also more employer, employer branding where we need to show to people what is governance like if I will go and work there? Uh, also, if you want to attract younger uh, talents, uh, the millennial generation is very demanding on where they're going to work. So they want to know, is this, is this a good fit, fit for me? And my generation, we didn't really ask those questions. So you need to be able to, you need to, be able to answer these kind of questions as well. As as we talk about Luxembourg and and you've been to Luxembourg prior to obviously starting uh, the business, what do you like most about uh, Luxembourg? What I like is that uh, I like it, it. It's a big city and a small village at the same time. So you 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 have all the facilities that you have in bigger cities. Also, over the last uh, 10, 15 years, it, the country has developed. A lot so it's, it's become much more dynamic right now uh, but but you take a five minute drive and you're out in the middle of the countryside and so right here for my for, 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 when I go home I, uh, I I'm in the nature and so that is not something that you have in other countries so the, the quality of life is very high also, to raise a family here is—I don't think that there are a lot of places where which are better equipped for that. I mean, if you just look at the school facilities that kids have here, it's unbelievable. When I go to the school of my kids, I want to go back to school. It's amazing. So yeah, so you can see that the country is really investing also in families and in, uh, in the future, and and that's what's what's really great to see. It's not this inward focus where I say, okay, everybody for himself, but it's really focused on yeah, build out the country. That, that's that's great to see. Well, Bert, um, thank you very much for taking your time, and as we do with most of our guests, we we hope to reconnect in in a couple of more months and see how the business is going, and if you have more stories to tell us. 
Thanks for listening to the Lux Unplugged podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time. Thank you.